You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Sometimes these tectonic plates take a while. And um, I, I think that they're at a point now where the events will move quickly, um, far more quickly than, than we've seen in, in years, uh, possibly ever. Okay. And I, I'm not trying to, you know, pound the table in some promotional way or something, but literally I've never seen in my career such macro technical and fundamental events underway that the chief beneficiary of which should be gold and silver and the miners. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers, chatting today with Michael Oliver from Momentum Structural Analysis. His website is olivermsa.com. I believe it's been about two years, Michael, since you've been on the show. So welcome back. And since this is Mining Stock Education, let's start with the mining sector. You mentioned to me that I shouldn't quit what I'm doing, but try to get better at it because you're bullish on mining, aren't you? Oh, yeah. No, I think that historic events, technical events, uh, the tectonic plates are moving. Okay. And I think that a lot of assumptions that people have had about gold miners moving with the stock market or not with the stock market, uh, since we last talked, for example, the last two years, most people in the sector are just bored or, or you know, scared out of the markets or too bored to death and think, oh, it's never going up. Well, sometimes these tectonic plates take a while. And um, I, I think that they're at a point now where the events will move quickly, um, far more quickly than, than we've seen in, in years, uh, possibly ever. OK, and I, I'm not trying to you know pound the table in some promotional way or something, but literally I've never seen in my career such macro technical and fundamental events underway that the chief beneficiary of which should be gold and silver and the miners. So you're bullish the miners in general, not just the gold and silver miners. Would that be accurate? Well, the, uh, that's true too. But no, the gold and, I would focus on the gold and silver miners. Uh, we know some of the other miners that beat the gold and silver miners, the base metal miners, for example. But uh, don't look at that. I think we're at a point now where it's the monetary metals that are going to enjoy the move, not your base metals. Even even with the base metals, you know, some of them in short supply and in tight supply situation and so forth. But don't focus on that. It's a monetary crisis we're facing. It's been building for a long time. Uh, the central banks have created a monstrosity of a bubble in the U.S. Mo most especially, more so than anywhere else in the world. Not China, uh, not Europe. You look at their stock markets, what happened from 2009 to 2021. We went up, S&P went up sevenfold. NASDAQ went up 16, NASDAQ 100 went up 16 fold. You go back and look at bull market peaks that led to big bear markets in the US stock market history, like 29 or the dot com peak. But look at what happened before you got to the peak. What was the percent gain that you saw? Nothing compares to the seven fold SP over a dozen years or 16 fold NASDAQ. So, and we know what caused that. I mean, you can chat all you want to about the fundamentals of this or that company or, you know, demand for chips, et cetera, whatever. Look at an M2 chart, look at a Fed funds chart, go back 20 years and look at what happened. And you can see easily why the S&P went up sevenfold and NASDAQ went up 16. They created a river flow, a monstrous river flow. And they created it not just for a few years, but a dozen years over and over repeated. They, whenever they tried to deviate with slightly higher rates, they quickly snap them back down to zero. And now what they've done is come in with their five rally to 5% on, you know, Fed funds rate near 5% is punch a hole in that bubble. And they thought they were going to punch a hole in, quote, inflation. 
Uh, and of course, they narrowly define and wrongly define what inflation is. Inflation is expansion in money units, quantity of money units. That flow goes somewhere. You know, in history, we go back and look at various situations where they create a flow, and quite often it'll go into the stock market, like in 2009. Well, to some extent, that made some sense. The S&P had gone from 1570 into the 600s. Okay. And so they create a river flow. And so investors say, I'll put it in here. The risk is, is low now. And they were right. Okay. But then look at the late 70s. They created a river flow and it didn't stop gold and silver from exploding, but stocks went nowhere. They were a wasteland until 1982. So there are times when it's the monetary events flow into a an area that people aren't thinking about. Now, there's a lot of asset managers out there, of not even gold bug types, big name people. I won't even cite who they are. You know who they are. Who've said, hey, listen, you know, don't pay so much attention to the price of your stock. Pay attention to the underlying degrading value of your money unit. And a lot of these folks are saying, hey, gold is where to be. So, Michael, on that note, if I could play devil's advocate, I'm a gold bug. And the reason I got into mining stocks is because I was buying physical gold and silver for so long. And then when silver got under $14 in 2015, I said, I got to make some leverage money off of the expected rise of silver. That's how I got into mining stocks. So I'm in your camp. But if I were to play devil's advocate and someone would say, well, I heard you say that, Michael, two years ago. Yeah. How would you, how would you, because I think you even said it on this show that we're no, getting I, close. I did. Yeah. Okay. And I was, I could see the events coming and they're still coming. I've not changed my macro fundamental or macro technical view. Uh, we turned bearish, for example, on T-bonds in late 2020 and they've collapsed since then. I think that collapse, by the way, is over. The stock market, we got bearish in January, February of last year, two months off the high, arguing that the downturn isn't a correction. It's the beginning of a major bear market, the deflation of a massive bubble. We still hold with that. But during that time, silver and gold had gone up, doubled, basically. Okay, Gold had definitely doubled, 1,050 in uh, 2015. By mid-2020, they doubled. Okay. Meanwhile, commodities had gone down during that time. So gold and silver went up on their own due to monetary factors. But then they went into this, what for gold turned out to be really, when you stand back and look at it, a congestion zone between the high 1600s and above 2000. Briefly pierced the bottom of that as a bear trap, hooked right back up to the top of the range now. Silver during that time had a corrective process, which was much longer lasting than we thought it might be. But we still defined it as a not a bear market, but a corrective process when you look at the longer term trend. We think that's now over. The corrective process. We think we're now in the early phase of the resumption of what is, in fact, a bull market that began from 2015 lows. Uh, and if you go back and look at gold over the last 50 years to give yourself some context, there have been three bull markets. One started in the early 1970s and ran to 1975 when gold was legalized here. Gold went from like $30 to $200, the six, seven fold move. Then 1976 to 1980, it went from Hundred and three dollars to eight hundred and fifty, an eightfold move. Okay, then from nineteen ninety nine, it went from about two hundred and fifty dollars an ounce to nineteen hundred and twenty by two thousand eleven. Very long bull market, but an eightfold move. Okay, so three times in fifty years, gold has produced basically a seven or eightfold move. So to argue, just simply, you know, based on what it's done before, almost routinely. We started from a low at 1,046, actually, intraday low back in December of 2015. We have only doubled since then. So you say, whoa, the big bull. No, it's, it's minor compared to the three before. And look at the events that are surrounding gold right now, monetary events, uh, 
jeopardy of a lot of institutions that have basically taken the needle and put it in their arm for 12 years and had false investment and false assumptions about the cost of money, hence have made errors. The errors are being exposed. And once those errors get exposed and institutions start to collapse and certain assumptions start to be proven wrong, namely that the Fed is on the right, is the, is the leader of things, uh, then suddenly you have a, a cold water smashed in everybody's face. They, they realize that, good grief, you know, we made a mistake. And I'm going to suspect, make you a bet, <laughs> within the next two to three years, you will hear talk and possibly action about we don't need the central bank. Why not let money be priced by the free market like we do eggs or beef or grains or chips. I don't think that could happen without a world war though, do you? Well, it could happen with an economic collapse and where people sit back and look at it. Now, already, you can see that some economists who are pro-Fed type economists and not, you know, not anti-Fed, suddenly saying, hey, you guys have gone too far. Quit. Fed didn't quit, kept going for another couple of sessions, you know, where some of these guys said, you've gone too far. You're going to create. Well, sure enough, they get now look right and they can stand up and say, we told you, Fed. So even some of the friends of the Fed have begun to inject doubt. And so it wouldn't shock me that the events create the fracturing, a sense of, you know, what did we do this for? It didn't work out. It's been 100 years of boom bust cycles. Now we've created the biggest boom and now, therefore, the biggest bust in U.S. history, with consequences attached to it. Now, we our argument's been that once these asset bubbles break, and municipal bonds, high-yield corporate debt, uh, stock prices, especially in the U.S. And the dollar as the reserve currency also and falling dollar, off? And the dollar demise as well. Yeah, that, that will be the next wave effect that is probably right around the corner. Where suddenly, all you don't have any normal investment alternatives to go into. You know, the 60-40 rule? You know, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Oh, you got a balanced portfolio. Be in good shape. But last year, you got killed with the 60-40. In fact, the bonds hurt you worse than the stock market did on a percentage loss, 21 to 22 close. Uh, so a lot of so-called truths and, and wisdoms have gone out the window. And a lot of asset managers and smart investors have said, hey, this doesn't work. You know, what do I do? What do I do? Well, if you look at last year's action, and we used to post little simple graphs on year-to-date gains or losses and S&P, NASDAQ 100, muni bonds, et cetera. And you have these big negative bars on S&P and T-bonds and so forth. And gold, 2021 close to the 2022 close, unchanged. 1820s, 1820s. Silver, 2021 close to 2022 close, up 2 to 3%. <laughs> Nobody realizes that. Uh, yet it was. Now, what did that say when all these uh, orthodox portfolio components collapsed, double-digit, no relief in the traditional portfolio components, and gold was unchanged. So even if you're not a gold bug, you're smacked in the face by that reality that, gee, I wish I'd been hiding in gold last year. You know, and now this year, look what's going on. You know, gold's parsing back at the highs again. Silver's come gone from a low near 17. It's now at 24 plus. Uh, anyway, we think that the asset class shift into the monetary metals is underway because we think a monetary crisis has been exposed was created by the central banks. It's been punctured by the central bank policy. And once that balloon starts to implode, history shows that every time the Fed realizes at the shortly after a major bull market peak and you start to get downside in stocks and bonds or whatever, they start to shift rates back down again. But if you go back and look at the overlay of Fed funds chart 
over later in an S&P, for example, you'll see that once those rates start to come back down, it doesn't help the stock market. It's too late. It helps it maybe a year or two later. But during the initial phase of when the Fed says, oh, gosh, we were wrong, it doesn't help. That money goes somewhere else. Michael, is is there a historical precedent that you're using to overlay the time that we live in now from an economics, financial standpoint? No, I don't think there's anything comparable. And I I, I beat the table on that. I mean, it's simple. Sevenfold move in the S&P over a dozen years, 16-fold in NASDAQ. Find me a bull market peak that was that bloated during a boom-bust cycle, monetary boom-bust cycle. You can't find one. I mean, even the, the 29 high, I think, was like a triple because I've had uh, guests of the uh, financial historians on the show to where they see like the 1929 collapse. And then they say you had deflation in the early 30s. So gold will be good. Gold miners will be good just from the standpoint that even if gold doesn't go up, the input costs that go into producing gold will go down. So what you're laying out is a, is a dramatically different argument, would you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that the rush to own a money, traditional money, been around for thousands of years will be so great. Well, I mean, look at what just happened. Back in January, for example, we looked at the bank stocks, MSA did. And we pointed out that in late January, the bank stocks were acting great. Okay, you look at them, they were one of the better performing sectors. Uh, everybody was comfy with them because when the S&P made a low in June and had a rally and then took it out in October, and the NASDAQ did the same thing. Banks didn't do that. They didn't make a new low. They held above the June low. And then they had the rally with the S&P into, into January of this year. But in late January, we warned, watch the banking sector. Nobody's looking at it. Nobody's thinking there's a problem here. We say technically it's ripe for something, an ambush is the term we used. Well, sure enough, three weeks ago, the ambush really began in a way that people noticed. Well off the January, February highs, it was in you know mid-March that this happened. So it was an ambush and nobody expected it. And so this is the kind of event that is monetarily connected. It's not a tech stock sell-off because they had too much gain relative to other stocks. And therefore, they're, so they're buying tech stocks now because they they look cheap. Well, heck, chip stocks got cut in half. Sure, they can rally more than the rest of the market because they were cut in half last year. But the S&P was only down 20%. So they're making the mistake of looking at the former leaders, the tech stocks, NASDAQ 100 components, and thinking, oh boy, it's a bottom. Meanwhile, the banks are falling off the page. And, uh, and and it wasn't just, by the way, the regional banks. You can look at the ETF for the regional banks and the regular bank ETF. And the KBE, the all-bank ETF, is taking out the June lows, too. And when you go to the banks that can't fail, what, the big four or five, and look at the price charts, the S&P is well above the June and the October lows. So is NASDAQ. But Bank of America and Wells Fargo are below the June lows. So all of a sudden, they look... One of the strongest components to where two of the big bank stocks are making new lows for the bear market. And Citicorp is not far behind. Citicorp's laying near the June lows and not far from its 2020 lows. So don't just look at the regionals and think, oh, it's just the regionals. Yeah, look at the big banks. Follow Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citicorp, Goldman Sachs, et cetera. If, if you get even a rumor about a big bank, and you know we're hearing a lot of stories out there. There's been a lot of feed about some of these big brokers that also have banks. Uh, and some of them are well connected to big banks so that, you know, if they ever had a problem, they'd be bought out by a big bank. So it's really not going to be a problem. But it's still something people weren't thinking about a couple months ago or even a month ago. Now, suddenly they're ambushed by financial related declines, you know, and, and things they didn't have to think about before. Like, gee, I've got 400000 in the bank account and that's over the 250 limit. I got to move some to another bank. You know, God forbid you got $2 million, then you got to move it to 10 banks, you know, uh, or... 
Maybe you just make a phone call and buy some gold. You know, and I suspect that that's crossed a lot of people's minds when they were having to make this switch to balance their insurance protection in their bank accounts. Uh, the thought about gold, something they haven't thought about in a long time. And, you know, Americans are really lagged on that issue compared to foreigners in terms of the friendliness to gold. And so if the American market ever suddenly wakes up and wants to buy gold, well, gold and silver are pretty small markets and the miners are definitely a small sector. So can you imagine what will happen if there's a sudden shift to uh, re realization? Gee, these things are behaving well. How come they're behaving well? They're not supposed to. The Fed's fighting, quote, inflation, which they narrowly define as commodity related. That's another issue. So where would you put your money in a time like this? I'm in commodities, mining stocks, physical gold and silver, and real estate. Where else might you advise I put my money? Well, in the real estate, I think I'd make it farming. Okay. And that's what I own, a small farm. Oh, oh, oh that's, 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 <laughs> With that's no different, loan. That's different from real estate. That's, okay. that's effectively, a, um, you're buying an ETF on grains. Uh, we happen to think that the commodity uh, explosion, that's what we termed it, coming commodity explosion in October of 2020, we put out a report. At that point in time, the Bloomberg Commodity Index was just above 70. It made a bare low in the high 50s. Okay, now put this in context. Its bull market peaks back in 2008 and 11, well above 200, like in the high 200s. So we're dealing with something that had gone down into the 50s. So it had massively deflated. And in fact, during the time when gold went from 1,000 to 2,000, late 2015 to 2020, the Bloomberg Commodity Index was still ratcheting down until late 2020, and it didn't turn up until gold had already doubled. So there was no correlation between commodities and gold. But when the commodities turned up way before the Ukraine-Russia situation, which is in February of 2022, they doubled by the time that war started. And about a week or two after that war started, commodities peaked. So anybody who wants to blame the commodity explosion and it was, it was uniform. It was across the sector of commodities. It wasn't just energy. It was grains. It was sugar. It was copper. You name it. You could throw a dart. So it was overall commodity complex. Somebody said, hey, look, this is an asset category that is vastly underpriced. In fact, we called it theoretical zero compared to stocks, which are seven times or 16 times their prior pricing low, bear market lows. And the Bloomberg was at 280 or something in 2008 and 2011. And now it's at 50 something. So it made some sense for large asset managers to move into stocks that were related to those commodities. And of course, the energy stocks, fertilizer stocks exploded. We also called them at that time. Um, now, okay, what's been going on since then? Now it looks like that, well, the Bloomberg's pulled all the way back down to a low of 101 and change, I think a week ago. It was its pullback low. Its high monthly close was 131. So you've dropped 30 points. About halfway back to where you broke out from in the low 70s in late in October of 2020. And it's been a slow, arduous, if you look at its chart at Bloomberg, it's been a slow arm wrestling process. It's not been a collapse. And right now you're trying to reassert yourself. We can see technical levels not far above the Bloomberg Commodity Index. Right now it's trading 104. It wouldn't take another 4 or 5% to break it out back to the upside again. And we think there's a second leg coming in the commodity complex. So you ask, is that a place to be? Yes, and stocks related there too. But we think this time around, instead of energy being the leader on a percent basis, oil and natural gas led the last leg up in terms of percent gains. We think the foods are more likely to be the leader this time. So we're putting a lot of focus, and we will this weekend in our weekend report too, on updating the grains. Sugar's been acting great lately, by the way. 
By the way, sugar is a pervasive food. You think, oh, I don't eat much sugar. Well, you go to a grocery store and flip a box around, you see sugar about every box, okay? Uh, it's an essential. And it has a huge technical base, both a price base and a momentum base. So sugar would go off the page for all we tell. But the grains we're going to monitor for upturn and Bloomberg. And we think when they turn, we think the best emphasis will be in the grains and probably grain-related stocks. And we'll be defining some of those symbols that we think look best to go along with the upturn in grains. So we think, yes, commodities this time will be in sync with the current upturn in gold, which they weren't between 2015 and 2020. So commodities will be an arena, especially commodity-related stocks, because asset managers, you know, they don't go out and buy corn futures usually, you know, so they'll buy something related there too. So yes, I think that's a category to be focused on, and I think it will be in sync with gold. However, I don't think it will match the percentage gains you're going to see in gold and silver. You're so, bullish oil and gas, but just not as bullish as the grains. Uh, now, the oil and gas, they've not turned up yet. There's some levels not far above them that if they if oil and natural gas will get back above them, you could have a nice percent gain again. Because boy, they smash natural gas. We got long natural gas just above two back in 2020, and again at 450. And we thought it might go to nine, possibly even a lot further, but nine was our defined target. Isn't that well, the widowmaker trade natural gas? Well, hey, it you, went you, to 10. You know, it went to 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it pulled back, and that didn't surprise us, but the nature of the, the drop did surprise us. It was much deeper than we thought it would be. Of course, we were arguing when it was up there at nine, this is not a place to be instituting new long positions, even though it was a headline market at that time. So yes, we think oil and natural gas will turn back up with the Bloomberg, but on a, on a sustained percent basis, I think you need to focus on the area they're not focused on so much right now, and that's foods. What about the fertilizers? For my small farm, one of my biggest expense last year was lime and phosphate. It took us forever to get it, and the prices were multiples higher than the year before. Uh, what do you see with the fertilizers? Well, in, in summer and fall of 2020, coincident with our call on the Bloomberg, we were suggesting buying Mosaic and CF Industries, and they went up like you know, I, I what four times, five times, you know, from those levels, an enormous percent move. They ambushed everybody, uh, and we had no idea the fundamentals that were underlying it. Uh, it was just the chart said, "Hey, this is this guy's done. He's going up." And, and sure enough, he went up with the commodities big time. Uh, I suspect they'll go up again, but they had such a big move last time. I think I'd focus more on directly grain related. And maybe farmland too, farmland related. I think there's even some ETFs that are farmland related ETFs. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I don't think they'll beat the monetary move out of gold and silver and the gold miners. And will platinum get some of that move too? The monetary it will, move? It, it, it's not behaving. It's behave. Platinum has behaved over the recent years more like the Bloomberg and not like gold. So in other words, it hasn't been a sister of gold on the ups and downs. It's been more linked to the movements in Bloomberg. And as I explained, from 2015 to 2020, the Bloomberg was still ratcheting downward slightly, but still very depressed the whole time, while gold doubled. So platinum has behaved more like a, pr a precious metal, not a monetary metal. And I, I use those terms meaningfully. Uh, silver, gold, or monetary metals. Platinum is not. Palladium certainly is not. Uh, and I would, yeah, and palladium is, you know, car related and so forth. And uh, that's why I have a lot of car thefts lately. <laughs> People stealing. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I would, uh, yeah, I think commodities would be a place to be, but I'd focus more on the, on the foods and stocks related to that. And, and we'll be focused, MSA will, on picking out such stocks. I, I remember uh, two, two and a half years ago, whenever we talked, you told me after the recording, you said, Bill, look at this coffee ETF. And oh. it was like the 60 days after you told me that I didn't buy it because I <laughs> the <laughs> coffee doubled. And I remember telling people, I'm like, 
He told me, he said, coffee's going to go up and it went up a hundred, a hundred fold. So yeah, it's, it's been pulling back uh, sharply lately, but again, like most, most of the food commodities, we're going to, we're going to focus in on them. And yeah. uh, coffee is somewhat unique and, and so is sugar, but the grains I'm looking at as a unit, okay. and they all tend to look and behave similarly. And I think it's our, our assumption, right? A pre-assumption that they're going to outperform, be an outperforming component of the commodity complex. Uh, but the gold miners, but the gold miners are so people have certain assumptions about them that we think are false. Yes, there are times when you can look at the stock market and if it's going down, the gold miners be going down too. That's true. But when gold gets in a dynamic bull trend, yes, the miners might have lagged at a certain point, but they'll suddenly there'll be a period in a, in a bull trend in gold where the miners will suddenly snap from a low oversold level and just join gold and outpace gold for a couple of years during that bull trend. And then at a point, maybe even before the top in gold, they'll underperform again. But there's always a point in there where they they are the wild child. And on a percentage basis, they beat gold. And I especially think that silver is going to beat gold big time. And, and, and without talking the technical so much about that, uh, here's an explanation. I told you about the, the three prior gold bull markets, the eight folds, seven folds, eight folds. Okay. Well, let's say we have another routine eight-fold gold bull market. And we, we're certainly not in a routine world. Okay, so it could be more than that. But let's just say that. So talking $8,000 gold. Okay, well, it seems like a lot, but it's really, it's replicating the prior. Okay, go back and look at silver spread versus gold. Go back 50 years. And you'll find there was one time when silver was 6.5% of the price of gold. It was like, I think it was the 1980 bull market. Or, yeah, or the mid-70s. Yeah, anyway. That was, a high, that was abnormal. That was, has not been replicated. But then there have been so many instances where silver gets up to two and a half to three percent of the price of gold that it's almost routine. Where you could see it every couple of years, it gets up to that percentage basis. Well, silver right now is one point three percent of the price of gold thereabouts in gaining, especially since the low last year. Silver's gained a lot more than gold has, even though silver's not back to its highs. It's gained more than gold from its lows on a percent basis. If silver went to two and a half or three percent of the price of gold. Okay, and gold were eight thousand dollars. You do the math. Okay, and all I'm saying is silver gold does another replication of its seventh to eightfold bull market. It certainly has an excuse to. And two, silver goes back to a normal percentage relationship to the price of gold, and it's so normal that when you look at the chart, you say, "Gee, it's done it so many times, it could do it again," and it's starting to move in that direction again. Then silver could be, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And where would the gold gold silver ratio be at that point? I don't do ratio. We do it as a percent. So the other people do it as a ratio. We do it as a, you know, divide silver into gold and you get a percent. So uh, I don't keep up with the ratio, which a lot of people do. But that's it. It'll be the same argument. You would have a, a sharp narrowing in the ratio and an increase in the percent. Okay. Uh, but um, I think that's where we're headed. And silver tends to do that in bull markets and gold. There'll be points where silver's underperforming, but suddenly it snaps and goes berserk and vastly outpaces gold. And you can maybe make a case that, well, that's because late longs in the monetary metal suddenly realize, gee, I want in that market, but I'm, you know, I'm a poor guy. I'm going to buy a poor man's gold. You know, I'm going to buy silver. It's cheaper. I could get more bullion in my closet. You know, my, okay. <laughs> so where, where suddenly investors flock to silver and they flock to the gold miners. And a good argument right now is the gold miners have been beat up. And so, you know, they're cheap. Now, if you, if you think gold's going back up, okay, there's a good reason to think that. Even the price behavior tells you that, or momentum tells us definitely. 
And silver is close to a level right now where we silver right now is above 24. Okay. Now in January, it was above, it was up to 2470. So we've not gotten back to the January high. Made like the 2410 today, I think, May silver. We've got some trigger numbers on momentum. It's not evident on a price chart so much, but on our momentum charts, it says if you ever get up to 2490 to 25 and nip out that January high, you're still in the middle of the price range of the last two and a half, three years, because it had it got up to 30, remember. So $25 is a big deal. You're in sort of in the middle. But on our momentum charts, it says you're likely to launch at that point. And where the explosion in silver that I've been expecting and it has not occurred, it's been delayed. I think it's still likely. And I think that would be a trigger level. Actually, the number is about 2495 for this month. It'll change next month to about 25. You hit that number, and I think you could you could have a tonal difference in silver where it suddenly goes from an arm wrestling behavior to a, a thunderbolt. Like the $37 I've heard like, people uh, say. Like to blow out the 30 highs and go up and test the old double highs at 50, for example. So I think you could have a surge in there where if you go up and you even get back to 30, that's going to wake people up. You know, obviously, they'll say, gee, we were wrong. You know, it was a correction. It wasn't a bear market. Uh and the Senate, you could have a void between that the highs of 2021, which is just barely above 30, and that two two peaks at 50 historic peaks for silver. There, there's a void in there, twenty dollar void, and you know you could traverse that void in uh, you know I don't know very short period of time. It would not surprise. And then the question is, will you stop at 50 for a third time? Especially given if gold is you know in multiple thousands and the fundamentals that we're now seeing unfold, which have ambushed people, continue to unfold. Like suddenly it doesn't move, it moves from the regional banks now to a one of the big banks. Of course, it won't fail because they're going to print the money. And that's the point is that the central bank will have to do a reversal and do, and not just our central bank, but the ECB and the BOJ. Any notion of tightening will go out the window rapidly. And there'll be a competitive drive to drive rates back down again and provide liquidity primarily. So it's not so much an issue of the interest rate level, it's an issue of, issue of balance sheets. And we know what the Fed will do. And, you know, we've had a reduction in their balance sheet when you plot it. I'm going to bet in six months you're making new highs on the balance sheet or maybe in six days. Uh, it will take one headline story to cause that reversal. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't want to be Powell right now. No, definitely not. <laughs> Michael, before you leave, remind listeners, especially listeners that are hearing from you for the first time, what do they find at OliverMSA.com? Well, if you go to the site, you'll find a a place where you can see our profiles and under my picture there's an email address if you want to sample reports request some sample reports be happy to send them to you uh, we look at all four major asset categories in our in our major subscription debt markets foreign exchange and by the way we didn't talk about the dollar which is likely to become a factor here we soon. talked about its death a little though right <laughs> yeah i think it's uh we we got bearish it, when it dropped from the 115 high recently which we yep. think was a spike erroneous high we got down to 110, 111. We got major bearish again. It's now trading down to 102. You ever get down on mid 90s again? Kiss it goodbye. We've mm. got some major structures on 10 year average momentum that say you get back to like 94, it's gone. You'll go back into the 70s, price level it was, you know, a decade or two ago. Uh, so, dollar, we look at commodities in general and specifically but with an emphasis on gold and silver and uh, the debt markets. And the stock markets, so the four four major asset categories. Because it's important. Because you can't, if you're a gold person, you can't just look at gold. If you do, you're making a big mistake. Because we've got major tectonic plates out there that, when they move, like when the banks move, for example, if you knew the banks were going to break in late January, and you look where gold was, 
And you look where banks were. And as the banks started to ooze on down through some trigger numbers that we provided, and then finally collapse, you would have anticipated the gold surge. Because the you know the, if the banks go, the Fed has to reverse policy. They have to protect that sector. And gold you're not a technical gold. analyst. We should point out you look at momentum structures, which is different. Uh, price, we look at price, but secondarily, because everybody's looking at price, and quite often price is misleading. Like when gold took out the lows of the range of the last two years at sixteen seventy five, sixteen seventy five, sixteen seventy five, and blew through it last summer. It dropped another three percent, but scared everybody in the process. Oh, gold's going to 1200 It's going to 1400 It's a big bear. We said, no, it's a bear trap. It went 3% beyond the point of breakage. It immediately reversed within a month or two and then shot back to the top of the range. It was a bear trap. It cleaned people out. It got rid of the weak longs. And now the weak longs have to decide if they're going to rejoin. <laughs> you know, so anyway. Uh, but yeah, so MSA does provide a broad research that you should, it integrates the asset classes. And you prep investors and traders for the week too, because you send it out, I believe, Sunday afternoon, right? Where you well, send we have out- a major weekend report, uh, which is usually a dozen pages or so. And usually we look at most of those asset categories each weekend. But during the week, there might be four or five reports as well on a given market. You know, yeah. So usually yeah. you get five or so reports per week. Um, anyway. Excellent. Well, Michael, always appreciate your insights. So great to hear from you after a couple of years. And uh, thank you for coming on today's show. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.